Great to see family sing together, isn't it? See the young girls come up. It's wonderful. I want to speak about something that's good. Uh, if there is a God, why all the suffering? Uh, you've heard that, I'm sure. And uh, this is good for us to go through it, but also for the young people to hear it because that's what they will hear from uh, their high school teachers and uh, from college people especially. And uh, let me just encourage you to, to listen up, and we'll try to give you some answers and do our best this morning. At times it's difficult to witness in our culture. Our culture has become the atmosphere, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-absolute truth of the Word of God, anti-morality, anti-responsibility. And it seems like that as you watch America, I'm sure I'm grateful for all the pockets of believers everywhere. I'm so grateful for that. But as you see our country as a whole, it's almost as if they think God is non-existent or they want to blame him for the world's evil and suffering. Where was God? They say this, evil and suffering are in the world. If God were all-powerful, he could prevent evil and suffering if he's all-powerful. If God exists, if all-powerful, all-loving, there would be no evil or sufferings in the world. But since there is suffering and evil in the world, God is therefore powerless, loveless, or non-existent. And then the Bible is untrue. And that's where they really want to go. And usually this thinking is taken on by somebody who's gone through a trauma. An example would be 1990s, Kosovo. Uh, there they cleansed, purged their city. They took 10 young ladies up in front of everybody and they raped them. And they made their families watch it all. The mother of one of those girls said this, it was then that I came to know that God does not exist because he did not intervene. And the atheists, they make this a creed. They say there is no God and evil and suffering prove that. <laughs> but there are three things that take place in our life that shows why there is evil and suffering uh, in, a, in our myths. Uh, we see it on TV every night. You watch TV, you're ready to commit suicide after it's over with. I mean, it's crazy what we see today. Everything's dense today, the mass shootings, everything that's, that's happening. Here's some ways that evil and suffering enters in. One is natural disasters, right? One of the great ones our world had was in 2004, the earthquake that was outside Indonesia, the force of that earthquake was a thousand atomic bombs. It actually created 36 more earthquakes and registered a nine on the Richter scale. That's just unheard of. It created a tsunami. The wave traveling at 500 miles an hour killed 220,000 Indonesians then some 10,000 more on the surrounding islands there. 
80 minutes later, it hit Thailand, and over 5,000 died. Then it hit Sri Lanka, killing thousands, actually 45,000 people. 15,000 of those were children. Two hours later, it hit India's coast, claiming 10,000 more lives. Matter of fact, there were churches along the coast there, and they were just swept away. Here in America, we've, we've had our own disasters, whether it's forest fires or earthquakes or hurricanes that we've seen in Texas, Florida, Costa Rica. Uh, I was just thinking of the recent hurricane last year that hit in Florida around Fort Myers and the Gulf and that area there. Recently, we've seen and heard the tornadoes that's taken place in our community here. And uh, you just wonder what in the world is going on. And then there are accidents. Uh, a fellow by the name of John Polican Home, he says, we live in a world with ragged edges where order and disorder interlace with each other. He said, there are billions of accidents. Most are trivial. But the outcome of some is so appalling that only one word is needed to identify that accident. An example, the Titanic. We keep hearing about it, just like recently, they, the people who went down to look at it perished. Titanic lost 1,500. DuPont, DuPont, or DuPont I should say, uh, they leaked gas in India and at that time, it was a, a toxic gas. 4,000 died immediately. A little bit after that, 16,000 more died. And 150,000 are still being treated. Then there's Chern Chernobyl. Uh, 800,000 Ukrainians were affected by that. Children coming down with leukemia and so on. As a matter of fact, they're still concerned about that even today with the Ukraine war that's happening. Every day there are accidents that happens, and like the one uh, Hensley Insurance Company, it happens, and, and that's so true. Car accidents, trains, airplanes, ships, machinery, malfunctions. Then another way they're suffering is man-on-man. Uh, you, that, that's, this is an amazing one to me. History shows man's inhumanity toward other people. I've never seen it as such as today myself. They tell us in the past 4,000 years, there's only been 300 years without war. Evidently, that's given them a chance to reload or something. I don't know. <laughs> World War I, 30 million died. World War II, so vast, they haven't been able to count all of them. Hitler, the Holocaust, China, they executed 22,000 a month. I've mentioned Cambodia before. They slaughtered a hundred or a, a million and a half of their own people. They called them the killing fields. Rwanda, I saw it on TV, all the bodies coming over the waterfalls. Uh, they uh, killed 800,000, leaving 350,000 orphaned children. 
America's had its 9-11 with 3,000 plus and then 200 in Washington, D.C. Our country has seen it in the Civil War, in the North who fought for freedom from slavery. Uh, the Americans, uh, the North lost over 250,000, just the North side. That's not counting the South. Russia, Lenin, Stalin, millions. In 2004, the Czechian separatists, they took over a school and held hostage a 1,000 students. Before it was over with, they killed 350 of their children. In the Middle East, we've seen bombings after bombings after bombings by terrorists. And you see it everywhere, man against man. Everywhere atrocities are happening. They don't speak about all of them on nightly news, but it's going on all around the world. And people step back when all of this is happening. Where is God? The Jewish Eli Weissel, he survived the Holocaust. And he wrote a, a moving book called Night. He told of some of its horrors, babies pitchforked as if they were just bales of straw, children watching other children being hanged, his mother and family members thrown into the furnaces fueled by other bodies' members. The prisoners, he said, at that time groaned, where is God? Where is God? Where can he be now? When it was all over, Weissel said that his experience that he went through murdered a God and my soul and turned my dreams into dust. British art critic Brian Soule confessed, after watching the world gone mad with greed and aggression, I ceased to believe in God and abandoned faith and its observance. So to a lot of people, the case against God seems watertight. But is it? Here's the question. Why should issues of good and evil or human suffering cause any problems? I mean, if man, like Bertrand Russell and many other evolutionists and many other people, if they are right to dismiss man's as a curious accident in a backwater, why should it matter the least if lives slowly or suddenly lead, peacefully or painfully, one by one or by mass? Oxford's Peter Atkins, he's a dogmatic atheist. He says, man is just a bit of slime on our planet. If that's true, then why weep when the people are removed? Man is just a result of countless chemical and biological accidents. They have no value. Dictatorial regimes or natural disasters that kill millions of people, if we're no more than a biological fluke with no meaning, origin, or destiny, why does it matter how we treat others? Even evolutionists, they, they, they have, their thought is no morality. If we've just evolved, how can we jump from atom to ethics, from molecules to morality, 
if we are merely genetically programmed machines, how can we condemn evil or say what's good? Then there's those awkward facts <laughs> they don't like to look at. Our planet can feed easily 8 billion people on this earth right now. It has no problem in doing that. And the question comes then, why do millions die of starvation every year? Is God the fault? In India, millions are dying of hunger because their religion won't allow them to eat the cows that's walking around them. Can their food problems be blamed on the one that they ignore? Think of the suffering caused by human error, incompetence. You know, the Titanic, the reason they lost most of the people, they didn't have enough lifeboats. Bottom line, Chernobyl, defective safe rules. To tell me that God's to blame for this? Suffering that's self-inflicting. Smokers come down with lung cancer, heart disease, heavy drinkers, addicts, wrong sex, contracting AIDS, gluttons dig their graves. Workaholics have mental stress and breakdowns. Illnesses caused by anger, hatred, bitterness, and envy. Is God to blame for their behavior and the consequences of their behavior? A pilot makes an error and causes an air crash. A drunken motor causes an accident. A train or a ship captain who ignores safety procedures. A football player has a brain injury because he's been hit in a football game. Is God guilty of these sufferings? You see, the link between wrongdoing and its consequences are very clear, aren't they? Rabbi Zacharias, the late, he was in a discussion with a friend of his. They were talking to a business tycoon. This tycoon asked Rabbi, why was God silent when there was so much evil in the world? And his friend said this. He asked the business tycoon, he said, since evil seems to trouble you so much, I would be curious to know what you've done to take away the evil that's in your life. The guy was red-faced. <laughs> Are these criticizers of God, are they doing everything possible to root out the wrong in their lives so that they won't be guilty of causing evil or suffering to other people? And are they qualified to criticize God for mismanagement? Remember this, if, if we could understand all that there is to know about God, he would no longer be God. There's no reason to assume God owes us an explanation for anything that happens in this old world. To say that God doesn't tell us everything is not to say that he doesn't tell us nothing. To say that unless we see the whole picture, there is no picture, <laughs> that's arrogance, that's foolishness. Isaiah 55 Verse 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <laughs> There's a great gap difference in how God thinks and how humans think. And not to know this causes and creates madness, ignorance. While the Bible doesn't tell us all we want to know, it does tell us what we need to know. Amen? When we get to heaven, God will explain a lot more things. We know that. The question should be this, what's wrong with the world? And if man is open and honest, he'll step back and he'll say, the problem is me. Huh? I'm the problem. God, he holds me responsible. When God created man, he said it was good. He made him a moral being with a conscience, discerning of right and wrong. Romans 2.15 says this, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. You know, I don't care what man says, he has a conscience, and he can try to cover up all he wants, but he knows there's a God. I was reading one book, he said, Are there truly atheists? <laughs> and I, I believe it was a great book. He made man able to be rational, to think, to draw moral conclusions, to make sensible decisions. He made man with a free will to be able to obey God or disobey God. He did not make man robots. He did not make man to have to bail him out every time he, he sinned or made a mistake. He put consequences. What we sow is what we reap. Romans 5.12 says this here. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Man's relationship of obedience with God was shattered in the garden. And when man sinned, they lost that spiritual life. Man lost his innocence. His very nature was infected with sin. Man became godless. And because of man's sin, he has brought in sinful actions, decay, disease, death, rebellion. And this sinfulness was passed on to their children, onto their children, onto your parents, onto you, and onto your children, and on and on it goes. And by the way, the reason there are natural disasters is not only is man cursed because of man's sin, but because of man's sin, the earth is cursed and not operating properly. You know, there are consequences of behavior, even for Christians. Did you know that 3,030 are killed for their faith in the world every day? 
3,030 every day because they stand up for their faith. To blame God, man thinks he can remove himself from God's authority and his own responsibility. Romans 1.20 says this here. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, man, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, man, are without excuse. Man has no excuse for not saying there is a God. And they will give an account of it. And by the way, Romans 9.20 says this. I love this verse. Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Who are we to criticize God? That's the height of arrogance, pride, foolishness. And that's what mankind tries to do. The Bible teaches that although God allows evil and suffering to coexist for time, now that's just for time, for purposes we might not ever understand, they will, evil and suffering, will one day be eliminated. There's a day when the wicked will not prevail, will not prosper, and the saved will no longer have to suffer evil or hurt whatever. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a, mar, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Then he says in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is just temporary. God has a purpose. He has a plan. We just have to trust it, even though we don't understand. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the world, the worlds were framed by the word of God. Amen? That's true. Now, this next statement, I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss this. The existence of evil and suffer, suffering does not eliminate God. Now, let me say that again. The existence of evil and suffering does not eliminate God. But the existence of God guarantees the limitation of suffering and evil. And one day it will be over. No more. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says this here. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be the, neither no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, and so on. One day, it will all be over with, he promises us. Just remember our message. Our message is that God loved us so much that he entered the realm of human suffering and evil himself. He, God, became flesh, dwelt among mankind. And he did this until his full plan was accomplished to destroy sin, evil, suffering, and death itself. Romans 4.25 tells us this, who was delivered for our offenses, sin, and was raised again for our justification. Suffering and evil, it can be caused by natural disasters, by accidents, by man's atrocities, sin's consequences, Satan. And when we see these things, it's our wake-up call. It's our warning that, yes, that there is evil and suffering. It's real. And life is brief. It's fragile. Death is certain. But God wants to remind us that we're not the center of the universe. God is. Not Hollywood. Not the news media. Huh? And certainly not Washington, D.C. Amen? Suffering and evil reminds us of our Savior and what he was willing to go through for us to deliver us. That's why he says in Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present, what? Evil world. He went through all that he did to deliver us from this world to a better place called heaven. And then in the future, even a new heaven and a new earth. I close with this. I like this saying. I've used it before, but I like it. These people who criticize God for suffering and evil. It says this. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank from the brilliant light before them. But some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from the Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beating, torture, and death. In another group, a black man lowered his collar. He said, what about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynch for no crime, but just being black. Another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl, was solemnized. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had complaint against God for the evil and suffering he had permitted in his world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light. 
where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each one of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most, a Jew, a black, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly disabled arthritic, a traffic child. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their verdict was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted giving him a work so difficult that even his family will thank him out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury, convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die in agony. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a whole host of witnesses to verify it. And each leader announced the portion of his sentence. A loud murmur of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly, all knew that God had already served his sentence. Amen? God's done that for us. He served our sentence, took our sin, our punishment on the cross one day. These people here, by the way, who rail against God, they're actually hurting inside. And our Savior is the only answer for them. Amen? You say, can they be saved? I was watching on TBN one night, forgive me, and uh, it was amazing. They had this lady on there, and she was giving a testimony of how she was an atheist. She said, I knew all the arguments Christians would use. I could intelligently defend the faith of atheism. Nobody could convince me. Well, this elderly family kept inviting her to church. Inviting, inviting, inviting. And she said, I got to get these people off my back. So she went to a Sunday night service, just a small little church, just backwoodsy people. There were about 40 in the service, just a small congregation. And while she was sitting there, the Spirit of God pricked her heart and made her realize that believers in Christ had something she didn't have. They had joy. They had peace. They had faith. 
they had Christ. That night, that lady was wonderfully saved. She was the first one to the altar, and she got saved that night. And she was giving her testimony how God was using her now to defend the faith of Christianity. We say, boy, you know, they're hard to handle. You know, nothing's too hard for the Spirit of God. We're saved through the Spirit of God who sets people apart. You know, God's chosen people before the foundation of the world. And do you know something? They will be saved. God has them out there. They're just waiting on somebody to tell them about Christ. That's us. Amen? That's us. God help us to win as many as we can before it's too late. Yeah, I know there's a lot of cries against God today in our country, but thank God for the simple people. You know, Paul said, I will not be removed from the simplicity of Christ. I'm just going to keep the gospel simple. I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. There's nothing I can do of myself to save myself. But I heard about the Son of God who one day became flesh, lived a sinless life on an old rugged cross, took all my penalty and punishment of my sins, and he died, shed his blood, buried him in a tomb, and three days later he shot out of the grave in a glorified body. And because of what he has done and accomplished, available to me now is everlasting life. Available to me now is a new life. Because Christ comes through the Spirit of God to live inside of me. Now my body becomes the temple of Almighty God. That's what that woman saw different. They saw Christ in them. Is Christ in you this morning? Let's bow our heads. You're here this morning. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? Are you just going to hold on, be hard, and blame God for everything? Or are you going to realize how much he really loves you and cares for you and proved it by sending his only son to do what you could not do, make the payment for man's sin? Today, if you will believe that gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God says he'll save you. Right there in your heart right now, just tell God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. But God, I believe what your son has done for me. I believe. Just tell him in your heart right now. And if you do that, he'll save you. That's what the Bible says. Not me, I'm nobody. The Word of God says that. And then instead of blaming God for everything, we can rejoice in God for everything that he's done for us. Father, we love you. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. I pray that we as a people will never ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. Even though we hear these cries, may it not frighten us. We still have you. We still have your word, the spirit of God. And God, you can save people. What a hope 
and message we have. Bless our people in Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.